You know, we have been uh, over the last uh, week or so here in the stages of a new sermon series on bearing fruit. And last week we began with an overview of the different scriptures that talk about what it means for us to bear fruit. And uh, one of the things that I want you to do today is to join me in the book of Philippians chapter 1. Because today we're going to talk about bearing the fruit of righteousness. And we may have a little follow-up to that next week, but we're definitely in that uh, today as we talk about that from Philippians chapter 1. When you read the book of Philippians, uh, many have called it uh, the book of joy. It's the, uh, the epistle, the letter of joy. Because Paul talks about uh, his joy being complete. And, and if you, if you want to think about it in another way, you know, we often talk about First uh, Corinthians in chapter 13 really being the love chapter, and, and that's a great and accurate description of that. But I think that this book really outlines for us what it means to live in a loving relationship with a church. And Paul definitely loved this church. The Apostle Paul absolutely loved this church. He was excited about them because they had joined him in uh, the propagation of the gospel. They were partners in the gospel. He was excited about their lives because they had supported him while he was on uh, his ministry journeys. And, and he talks about that in chapter four. And, and, it's, and it's an amazing relationship that he had with this church. And today I want us to look at uh, this passage regarding Philippians chapter one and verse nine. And we're just gonna read a few verses here this morning, and we're actually just going to kind of hang out in these three or four verses here this morning from Philippians chapter one. Let me read it for us. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Right now in the Wednesday night grow group that I'm leading, we are studying the prayers that you find in the Bible, you know, that, that are prayed over people or, or, or prayed over us. Last week, we, in our grow group, we were looking at the prayer that Jesus prayed over the disciples and then the prayer continues as Jesus prayed for future disciples, you know, and, and, and as we look at those, this is one that, that we're not looking at on Wednesday night, so if you're in the Wednesday night grow group. It's not going to be remedial for you this coming week, but I feel like it's so important for us to look at it today because it talks about the relationship that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means for us to be fruitful and to be bearing fruit. And I think as we look at this and kind of dive into what the apostle says, it'll help us to understand what it means to bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives. I want you to notice as he begins, he says there's actually a prerequisite for bearing fruit and it has to do with love. The first thing that he prays for the church is that they will grow in love in chapter nine. He says, I, I want you to grow in love and, and that really shouldn't be a surprise to us. If you're praying about a church, that's a great prayer to pray for any church is that that church would grow in love. I think one of the most fascinating things that I ever have experienced in church life myself, just from an outsider's perspective and watching this take place, was watching a church grow in love that actually didn't have much love when I got to that church and began attending that church. It was the kind of church that when you showed up, everybody came to church and they were friendly enough, but when church was over, you could see the peel out marks from the tires out of the parking lot. You know what I mean? Everybody was taken off. I don't know if it was just that there was a good eating place there for lunch or what. I don't know what, what was going on, but nobody hung around. There was no fellowship in the church 
because their love for one another hadn't grown. And over the course of time, it was fascinating to watch how that changed because you would come to church and, and people were still nice to one another, but after church, people weren't just taking off. They weren't, they weren't running away to get away from each other as quick as they could. They were actually spending time together, enjoying one another. They were growing in love with one another. And you know, when you think about it, that shouldn't be a surprise because when you love someone, there's really nothing that you won't do for them. When you love someone, there's nothing you won't do for them. You know, you, you could know with me that there is no end to the number of love songs that have been written or books about love stories that have been written. And the reason those things suck us right in is because it, it appeals to something in our lives, doesn't it? It appeals to this idea that there's, there's nothing that we wouldn't do for one another. When you think about what was happening here, Paul tells this church that he wants them to grow in love and growing in love is the quality of a church that God is excited about what's going on and the church is excited about it and it changes us from being a self-centered type church to being a church that's looking out, a church that's looking forward, a church that's making room. Paul had experienced this love for himself with this church he was a recipient of the love. And he says, it's not enough that you've loved me. I want you to keep growing in this love. Because a growing a church that's growing in love makes room for new people. It always has room for new people. It always has room for expansion. And when we love people, aren't we demonstrating one of the greatest qualities of our Savior? Because we understand that he loved us. The Father loved us so much that he sent his only Son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right? John 3.16, it's this quality of love that we find in the Savior. And when we're reflecting that, we're acting just like Christ. It's part of our character. And so when we see that, we see a good thing in a church. That's a prerequisite for us bearing the fruit of righteousness is that we're growing in love. And this growing love has two qualities with it. I hope you'll notice them. When our love uh, starts to grow, it starts to change our actions because we're being fruitful. But I want you to see this. These qualifiers are really important. It says that you would grow in knowledge and discernment. That's funny, isn't it? I mean, like when you think about growing in love, it was, is that what you expected? We hope that you grow in love with knowledge and discernment. I, mean, I would have thought maybe he said, we hope that you'll grow in love by spending more time with people. We hope that you'll grow in love by inviting people into your home. We hope that you'll grow in love by serving people. But he actually says, you need to grow in knowledge and discernment. Now the English word that he uses, uh, I'm sorry, he didn't use an English word. You didn't catch that, did you? So y'all need to wake up around here, you know? Somebody should have said, no, you know? <laughs> we assume it was Greek, right? I mean, the word that he's using here is hard to translate in English because it just, it's knowledge. But in, in the Greek language, there's a little prefix in front of it that, that changes it from just regular knowledge to spiritual knowledge. It's, it's knowledge in, in the religious realm is what he's saying. And, and when he talks about the difference between spiritual knowledge and general knowledge, uh, you know the difference. I was just reading the book of Ecclesiastes in my, my quiet time this week, and isn't what Solomon said so true? Like, it's wearisome, and there's no end to the books that we study, and it, it's a tiresome thing to do that. And maybe you're, you know, experiencing midterm exams. We have students that are about to finish out the first quarter, and, and you know it's a wearisome thing to constantly be having to go through and learn knowledge, but this is different. Because Paul's not concerned with the knowledge that we have in the general sense of the word, facts and, 
and things like that. He, he doesn't care what you scored on the SAT or the ACT. That's not the kind of knowledge that he's advocating that we grow in. He's saying that we need to grow in a spiritual knowledge. Well, how would that happen? Well, it happens when we apply ourselves to the knowledge that we find in the scripture that the Lord has given us. When you wanna grow in spiritual knowledge, you, you start right there, you start studying the word. You know, when we take the grow class and we offer that here often, one of the things that we do in that class, and by the way, you can take that online now, uh, you can find those on our website, the grow class, the serve class, the give class, uh, and you, you get all the same information right there and you can take it at home. Um, one of the things that we try to do in the grow class is give you resources so that you can find different ways to engage with the Bible. Because what we assume is that, you know, I mean, I think it's great for you to read the Bible all the time. I mean, it, it's a wonderful thing. If you read the Bible every year, that's wonderful. Sometimes what we need is a little bit of a change in that. So here's a devotional guide you might use, or, or here's a way to use a commentary that, that talks about these passages of scripture so that you can learn from them. We want you to be growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our lives, we really have no excuse for not growing. We have every tool available to us that we can imagine. Most of them are available free. You can download them. You can use them on your phone. You can use them at home. I mean, you have the opportunity to do it. So growing in knowledge becomes very important. You know, if we tie growing in knowledge to something, it helps us. And here's what I mean by this. When we talk about loving, think about it like this. I've had friends who have said, you know, to me like, Yes, I, I, I really love this person. I'm not going to marry them, though. We're just going to live together. It'll be fine. Is that love how Christ Jesus describes love for us? See, it, 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 it's, it's easy for us to get confused what real love is. And so the scripture gives us that. The scripture outlines things, these things for us. So to grow in knowledge, we go back to the scripture and we begin understanding what God would say is good and acceptable. But then Paul also says, you need knowledge, but you also need discernment. Now, you could think about discernment as, as somebody who is wise, who, who understands how to uh, apply knowledge. And if you have knowledge without discernment, that knowledge is really of a diminished value. Because knowledge on our part acquired by studying the word without being able to apply it in our lives is lacking. In fact, one pastor said it about this when he talked about the love that's referenced here. He said, it must be a love that's governed by biblical principles and exercised judgment. Biblical principles and exercised judgment. That, that's a great thing for you to think about. I'm growing in love. So this isn't some feeling you're just gonna love everybody. It's not a feeling, it's not a sentiment. It's knowledge and discernment. To be discerning might mean today that you'd be able to spot a counterfeit. And, and, and that's important for all of us, isn't it? Because aren't you amazed at how easily you're led astray and I'm led astray to things that, that seem good, but they're really counterfeit. I mean, that's what Satan does. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And so a counterfeit shows up for us to be able to grow in love and discernment means that, I'm sorry, knowledge and discernment with our love means that we can spot a counterfeit. It means that we can spot a counterfeit ideology proposed to us by a politician that says, well, I'm a Christian too. It means that we can, can spot a cult movement because they set themselves up and they say, well, no, this is the way walk ye in it. And you say, well, wait just a second. This isn't squaring itself up with the scripture. To, to have a growing love 
lets us have knowledge and discernment so that we can be wise and understanding, living with the Spirit of God to be able to spot these counterfeits. To be discerning might also mean that we understand the difference between good and best. You know, I think one of the things that is lost on us a little bit as we walk in our relationship with the Lord is that as you continue to grow in your relationship, things change. So often the, the test is not between what's good and evil anymore. That, that feels rudimentary. But it really can be between what's good and what's best. This is an okay decision. It's, it's fine. But is it what's God's best for my life? Is it God's best in this situation? To, to understand this means that I, I'm not just having to, to deal with black and white decisions anymore, but, but good and best. The, the elementary aspect of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is growing and leading us to these things so that we understand the best course of action that we need to take. Maybe it's also that we read the scripture for what it actually says and not what we want to make it say to be discerning. I was reading recently an article that brought me right back to the 1980s. And this author was saying that the reason that God has given us prophecy is so that we'll have an awareness for things to come and have a comfort for these things. Right? So that we'll, we'll be comforted that God is on the throne. God is doing what he said he was going to do. Prophecy is, is not given like step one, step two, step three, step four, step Anybody remember, you know, in the 80s when barcodes came out and it was like, that's the sign of the beast. It's over. Remember the 80s? I mean, every other week, this is the day God has given me. I know the day, the exact day that Jesus is going to return. And all these Christians would go, do you really think that that's what it is, pastor? Do you remember what the scripture says? No man knows the day or the hour. No man. It's not been revealed to man. It's not for us. You see, that, that, that's where we're lacking. I mean, it's, it's just like we read the Bible and then just set it aside and forget everything that it's just told us. To have knowledge and discernment allows us to look at these things and to, as they present themselves towards us, to go, wait, wait just a second. This isn't squaring up with scripture. This isn't right. This decision isn't going to be best for my life. Well, as we grow in our love and knowledge and discernment, it says there's a payoff for it. I want you to see this. Look at the payoff of growing in love. Verse 10, he says, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So he says, again, you need knowledge and discernment so that you can approve. Now that word means try out, to test or examine, to approve it. Not to give your rubber stamp on it, approved. Not that, but, but so that you can look at things and know the difference, so that you can test the things. You remember the, the scriptures tell us to test the spirits, to not just accept things, but to test these things, to examine these things. I think that God is telling us to do that because he's also pointing us here to pursue superior things. And when he talks about superior things, he's saying things that have a higher value for you. When we talk about that, it, it, it kind of makes me think about something that I'm fascinated with, and maybe you're not fascinated with it, but I'm, I'm fascinated by people that make, can make valuations on things. Whether it's antiques, baseball cards, I don't even care. I may not even be interested in it, but I get fascinated by people that can look at things 
and make a valuation about it. Do you, any of you ever, you know, when that show was on, and maybe it's still on, but I, the Antiques Road Show on public television, did any of you ever watch that? You know what fascinated me about that show was not the stuff that they valued that was off the chart. If you're not familiar with the show, people would find junk in their house and their attic and bring it and say like, is this worth anything? And there would be some expert and he would make a determination about it. It's not the stuff that they valued. It's all the stuff they said was junk. They'd look at it and say, this is close to being very valuable, but because of these three things, mm, it misses the mark. It doesn't add up. And you just think, what an, an incredible way for someone to have knowledge about something, to be able to be discerning about something, to look at it, and to test it and approve it, to know whether or not it was of superior value or whether it was just ordinary. In our Christian life, it's the same thing. It's easy for us to look at things and not properly value them. We, we might, for instance find ourselves placing value higher on things more than we do people. Do you ever do that? I sometimes struggle with that. Do you value things more than people? Do you value stuff? Is that more important than the people in your life? Is, is that more important than building relationships in your life? Or do you ever find yourself placing more value on the present than you do eternity? It's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy to get swept up in what's going on in your to-do list today and what you need to get done. I mean, do you ever feel like you're running from pillar to post? Do you ever feel like that, that your to-do list is just so long that you woke up this morning and you're already behind, right? You're, you're already behind. That places an overemphasis on the value of the present and not eternity, doesn't it? Because we're working for eternity because that's where we're spending our lives. This is just a, a short little moment here that we're together. So we can, we can miss that and not place things that are on the superior things. That's why Paul says, test things and approve what's superior. He's exhorting the church to find superior spiritual things and to pursue them with all their hearts. He wants them to go after it. It's a call not to get, it's a call so that we don't get, uh, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, let me think about it this way. It's a, it's a call for us to not get caught up in things that don't matter. Right? It's easy to do. Getting caught up in things that don't matter. And when we begin to do this, what the apostle says is the outcome of these things, of approving the superior spiritual things, is that we will be pure and blameless. Now, this word purity might take you and hearken you back to our sermon series that we spent in Ephesians because we talked about what it meant. And we said uh, there was a, a pottery illustration that was often talked about when someone said it was sincera. We call it sincere, right? Sincera without wax. In the pottery world, if you had a crack in your, in, in your pot that you had thrown, you know, you, you could fill it in with wax and then try to glaze over it and, and paint it and, and it would look maybe okay. If you held it up to the light, it would shine through and you'd be able to see that. So when somebody stamped a piece of pottery saying, you know, this is sincere basically, in other words, there's no flaw in it. Well, I'm not hiding anything. I want you to think about that with, just, uh, with me for just a minute because 
if, if it's for us to be sincere, to be pure, then what we're saying there is we're, we're living out a sincere faith. And, and that would be a faith that, that is trying to drive out hypocrisy in our lives all the time. Now, I wanna be very clear because if we're being honest, every person in the room has a measure of hypocrisy that they're dealing with. And don't act like you're not. You deal with it, I deal with it. Because there's a disconnect between who we are today and who we are striving to be, right? We're striving to be Christ-like, but there's a disconnect because we've not been perfected in Christ yet. So you have a little bit of a measure of hypocrisy in your life, and, and so do I. And, and if you're not a Christian this morning, you may be saying, this pastor just admitted that all Christians are hypocrites, and that's why I don't go to church. I hate hypocrites, you know? And <laughs> It's true. We're all dealing with it. At least I'm being honest about it. What about you? I've always been fascinated by that. I hate Christians because they're hypocrites. Now, I don't mind drinking at the bar with hypocrites. I don't mind going to ball games with hypocrites, but I will not go to church with a hypocrite. You know, come on. Everyone is dealing with this. We're all dealing with it because who we want to be is not who we are right now. That, 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 that's, that's a true statement for all of us. But what we're trying to fight against is professing to be something that we're not, right? A pure faith is not putting on airs and, and pretending to be someone that you're not. A, a pure faith is, is one that looks at you and says, the Holy Spirit is working in my life to drive these things out. And I'm, I'm struggling with them and, and God is, is changing me. God is making me into his image. But I'm dealing with this. There, there's a measure of hypocrisy in my life we fight against. For a believer... It's not that we've stopped sinning, but it means that we're living an authentic Christian life. It means that we're honest about our shortcomings. It means that we're living with the grace of confession and repentance in our lives all the time, to be pure before the Lord, to be sincere. Now, you could be this morning sincerely a mess and think that that's okay. It's not. That's where the second word comes in, that you would have a sincere faith, a pure faith, and that you would be blameless. If you think about this word blameless, I want you to think about it in the ways of like having a clear conscience before the Lord. So that on the one hand, you're fighting off hypocrisy. And on the other hand, what you're doing is working to have a clear conscience before the Lord by living constantly in a state of grace and repentance and forgiveness with the Lord so that there's no charge brought against you. You're not, you're not burying these things. To live blameless before the Lord is to live with this idea that every time I fail, I'm going right back to the throne of grace and I'm calling on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm, I'm calling on his mercy and I'm asking God for forgiveness and there's no charge brought against me. Do you remember that the psalmist said it like this? When I concealed my sin, it was like rottenness had entered my bones. Sin will make you feel sick. If you're a believer this morning and you try to cover it up, that conviction comes and you start ignoring it, I promise you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You feel like you want to throw up. It'll make you sweat. It, it, it'll drive you crazy. There's rottenness inside of you. And, and what he's saying here is to be pure and blameless is that we're walking humbly before the Lord and not hiding our sin. And, and this is important because of what's coming and we should never forget this. Verse 10 says that you may be pure and blameless in the day of the Lord. I wanna let you in on a little secret. 
Jesus is coming back. Now, come on now. Jesus is coming back. That's a a secret. It's an open secret. We don't know the day. But if you've read the the Bible, the day of the Lord is going to come. And here's what's going to happen. And I, I feel like we have to just hang out here for a second before we move on. The reason we want to be pure and blameless is because the day that the Lord comes back, you know what we want it to be is a day of rejoicing. That's what we want. Because for those of us who are in Christ, that day is a day that we long for. It's a day that we're told to pray for. We're, we're told to look for it. We're told to anticipate it. We're living our lives with this idea of eternity coming uh, down back to earth. You know, Jesus coming back to earth. And, and as we do that, we understand it's going to be a day of rejoicing. But for some, it's going to be a day of terror. When you read the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. It's a day of terror, isn't it? Why? It's a day of terror because not only does God come and, and receive those who have known him back to be with him, but it's a day of fear and judgment for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Because in the terrible day of the Lord, he will come and collect the souls of men. And I tell you this, not to try to scare you, but I want to tell you this as a believer so that you'll have comfort but that you'll have motivation also so that you know to live rightly before the Lord, to live obediently before the Lord, but I also say it to you as a, maybe a non-believer this morning so that you understand something very important here. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. The only way for you to be prepared is to start preparing now. You will not be able to prepare on that day. It's too late. But there's still hope for those who are not in Christ. I think for us as believers, what Paul is trying to say is, be ready. Be ready. Do you remember the song that used to say it like this? People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. People get ready. Jesus is coming to take from the world his own. On that day, we're going to to meet him, so we need to be ready. And we don't want to be like a child hiding something from our parents. You know, we don't want to be caught in that day not living pure and blameless. He's saying live with an expectation that that day is coming so that when it happens, you're anticipating it and you're rejoicing in what God is doing. Be ready for it. He says when that happens, you'll have a crop that has produced something. Notice this last verse. Verse 11 so that you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. On the day of Christ, we want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, he says. Now, to be filled, notice, is not that he says like to have some fruit. He says that you would be filled, that it would be overflowing with this. And the fruit of righteousness is not like an internal thing of character development that we're going to talk about when we get to the fruit of the Spirit. Bearing the fruit of righteousness is actually an external thing that has happened from the inside out. It's really the good deeds that we do in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the obedience to the word of God. Now, this past week, I had the opportunity to be a part of two separate occasions, which, to be very honest with you as a pastor, are some of the holiest of occasions that you could ever be asked to be a part of. It's a funeral. You know, we're often asked to be at the hospital when someone is being born. We're, we're often asked to be there when someone is going through a major crisis. We're often asked to be there when life is ending. 
And this week, we had the joy, and I say that because it was a joy, of presiding over the funeral of two believers. That is a joy. Because they are entering into their rest. And as I think about that this last week, uh, both of these saints, ironically, had lived into their 90th year, past their 90th year, actually, into their ninth decade. And one of the songs that was sung at one of the funerals actually struck me in a way that I hadn't been struck before. It's a song I was familiar with. And I was thinking about this passage, and it's a song that I'd grown up listening to many times. Steve Green recorded it a number of years ago, and he actually enjoyed a lot of success with it. And the song was called Find Us Faithful. Maybe you remember it, To Find Us Faithful. The song uh, has a chorus that says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fires of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Now, as Pastor Kirk was singing that song and I was just kind of pouring over that and and listening to that, I actually laughed at myself because when I heard the last line, may the lives we live inspire them to obey, the first thought that came in my mind was nobody sings songs like that anymore. And then I laughed at myself because I was like, you have officially crossed over into old age, you know? <laughs> the curmudgeon. Nobody, they don't make them songs like you sing. I mean, right? I mean, I was right there, you know, and I was just thinking about it. But think about that line for a second. May the lives we live inspire others to obey. That's a perfect picture of the fruit of righteousness. That we want to live a life of obedience to our Lord so that in everything that we're doing, what happens is we're building up and bearing the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Right living, righteous living in our lives. So that whoever looks at my life, whoever looks at your life, not only says, man, what an interesting person, But can you imagine your life inspiring someone else to do the right thing? Can you imagine bearing fruit this week when you go to work, when you're around your friends, when you're hanging out, so that people look at your lives and they say things like this, I want to be better because I've been with her. I want to be a better man because I was with my buddy. I I see God working in his life and and I just see what he's doing and I I see how he's living a life of obedience. He's he's bearing the fruit of righteousness in his life. I think that's important. Our obedience matters, inspiring people to obey. Paul says that our lives are to be filled with this fruit, not with just a little bit, but filled with it. When we gratify the flesh, what happens is we're gratifying our sin nature. And, and, and there's no glory in that. We glorify the flesh, but the deeds of the fruit of righteousness, it says, glorify Jesus Christ and God the Father. That your life would be lived in such a way that the smallest things that you do would bear the fruit of righteousness and glorify God the Father. I want you to notice something. We can't run past it. Bearing the fruit is tied again to our relationship with Jesus. It said, through Jesus Christ. How do you bear fruit? Through Christ. That means I'm yielding to him. It means you're yielding to him. It's all tied to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't bear fruit apart 
from the Lord. It doesn't work that way. We, we don't bear it on our own. We bear it through the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we have to remain in that abiding relationship with him, close to him. I think that's why Paul starts again with this idea that our love grows in knowledge and discernment. Going back to the scripture, reading it, having that ability through our union with Christ to produce good fruit and be filling it up. Good ideas may not produce the fruit of righteousness, but God's ideas will. Good ideas may be interesting, but God's ideas produce the fruit of righteousness. You can't do it on your own. So I, I want to ask you this morning, are you growing in love? Like, would, that be, would that be a characteristic that someone would say of you, that you're growing in love? Would your best friends say that you're growing in knowledge and discernment or would they say, I mean, I haven't really seen much of a difference over the last couple of years. I mean, you seem to be a nice person, pretty much the same, you know? Are you growing in knowledge and discernment? Are you blameless and pure? Are you living out the faith sincerely? Pushing hypocrisy far from you? Pursuing a, a, a blameless relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you, are you ready for the day of the Lord? Are you waiting on his return? Are you anticipating that? Are you, are you afraid of it? Are, does that bring terror to your mind today because you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? You've never given your life to him? I want to encourage you today. That day is going to be a day of rejoicing or terror, but it doesn't have to be a day of terror. For those of us who are in Christ, it's a day of rejoicing. Give your life to Christ. Trust him as your savior. As we trust him, walk with him, we understand that we can bear the fruit of righteousness this week. We need to be fruitful. We need to be bearing the fruit that God has called us to bear. And I pray for us that that will happen. I want to ask you this morning if you would bow your heads and pray with me. This time of reflection is just going to be a minute or two. We're not going to have an invitation where we ask you to stand and sing, but I am going to ask you to consider some of these things this morning. Where are you in your relationship to the Lord? Are you growing in knowledge and discernment? Sometimes we know we need to. We just keep putting it off. I know I need to be reading the Bible more. I, I know I need to be in a grow group. I know, I know I need to. Is there anything in your life this morning, even as a believer, that makes you uneasy about the day of the Lord? Are you ready for his return? Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you, Lord, that we have known love because you have loved us first. I pray for our church that the love that we have for the saints would grow and grow and grow and we would be a church that is growing in love with knowledge and discernment. That we would be pure and blameless, pursuing superior things. God, forgive us when we pursue things that are not superior. 
Lord, that we would be ready for the day of your return. I pray for this church, that this would be a church that's anticipating the day of your return. Looking forward to that day when you're going to right the wrongs of this world. Truth and justice will reign supreme. Jesus, come back. We ask you. We anticipate it. We long for it. Our hearts cry this morning, longs to be with you. Father, we pray today for anyone in the room who doesn't know you that today they would be saved. Maybe they've been struggling with fear and doubt about that. I pray today, God, they would just come to you in faith and receive you. Lord, that we would bear the fruit of righteousness by being obedient to the word and living righteously before you. Lord Jesus, we can't do it on our own. Keep us close to the cross. Keep us close to you so that we may bear much fruit and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.